Good afternoon and welcome to Christ the King Anglican Church Toronto. For any who I haven't met, um, I'm, I'm Marion and I'm a deacon at Christ the King and in the Anglican Network in Canada. Uh, but I've been away from Toronto for uh, some time. First, because of a couple of family emergencies, one in British Columbia and then one in Manitoba. And then I've been with my husband, Gary, wintering in Arizona. And in Arizona, I've been attending an in-person worship at a church called Living Faith Anglican Church in, in Phoenix. And uh, it's, part of, uh, it's a part of our family of churches in the Anglican Church of North America. But in the afternoons, I've been tuning in by Zoom to your in-person worship at Christ the King. Uh, now I'm back in Toronto for a few weeks, but sadly, uh, <laughs> I haven't, I'm not able to um, join with you at in-person worship, and instead, you've all had to come join me on Zoom, um, but let's hope that uh, changes by next week. Anyways, it's good to be back, and I want to thank Glenn for the chance to preach uh, during this season before um, he returns to the Matthew series, I think, starting next week. So we're in the 12 days of Christmas, which conclude on the Feast of Epiphany, which is January 6th, but we're recognizing the Feast of Epiphany today. And the word epiphany means revelation. It's about the revelation of who the incarnate Jesus Christ is. And the premier uh, story for the Feast of Epiphany is the one that Samantha read for us about the Magi, the wise men from a far country who came following a star and bringing uh, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and came to wor worship the, the young Jesus. But of course, as uh, Glenn mentioned at the start, because we've had the uh, Matthew, the series in Matthew's Gospel since September, um, back then Keith preached through the uh, Christmas texts at the beginning of uh, Matthew's Gospel, including the account of the Magi. And so today I'll be preaching from Psalm 72, which is the, uh, the scripture, uh, or the psalm, excuse me, that is always read on Epiphany. Um, I'm actually going to preach from the ESV translation of Psalm 72. So if you would open your, your Bibles, whatever version they are, uh, to Psalm 72. I know we read the psalm uh, from our, our prayer book, um, because that's what we have in the bulletin, but I will be preaching from the ESV uh, translation of Psalm 72. So Psalm 72 is a picture of the reign of an ideal king. I, I like to uh, choose titles for my uh, sermons, and the title I chose for this sermon is The Ideal King, the Prince of Our Dreams. So that gives you a little feeling for where we're, we're heading. So first, um, a little about the author and context of Psalm 72. 
So in your Bibles, you'll see at the top of Psalm 72, it says, of Solomon. But if you look down at the bottom at verse 20, it says, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. So some scholars make the case that it's actually David who is the author of Psalm 72, and in, instead of of Solomon, it could be translated for Solomon, and this is David praying for his successor uh, Solomon and the line of kings that will descend from David. But others make the case that no, of Solomon means Solomon is the author, just like other Psalms say of David, and we recognize David as the author. And that Solomon is here praying for himself uh, as king as he begins his, his reign. And you might remember that Solomon prayed to God at the beginning of his reign, praying for wisdom uh, to... Um, to govern God's people well. So either way, whether David or Solomon uh, is the author of this psalm, this is a prayer at the start of the, the dynasty, of the, the line of kings that will descend from, from David. And it is a vision of ideal kingship over an enduring kingdom of righteousness and peace or shalom. And this is in keeping with God's promises, uh, God's promise to, to David. So in this sermon, we're going to do four things. First, we're going to look at this ideal for kingship in the verses of Psalm 72. Second, we'll consider what happened when this ideal wasn't realized in the in David's um, dynasty. Third, we'll consider how is this ideal yet being realized? And fourth and finally, we'll consider how is this ideal um, still so very evocative for us today? And that is both for believers, but also for unbelievers. So starting with looking at Psalm uh, 72, um, the reign of the ideal king, I'm going to look at it uh, using seven words that begin with the letter F. So the first word, the ideal king is fair, that is just and righteous according to God's standards. Verse one and two say, Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The ideal king is to be impartial to all people. Verse 4 and 5 go on to say, May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you. Remember, this is a prayer. So the you is God. May they fear you. The they is the king and uh, all the people. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. 
The second word is flourishing. Under the reign of the ideal king, there is flourishing, both flourishing of the land and flourishing of, of the, the people in, ter in terms of, of their numbers, but also in terms of the goodness of the people. Uh, so verse three says, let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. Under the reign of the ideal king, uh, there is um, abundant um, provision uh, in terms of, of crops and the lands producing to support a flourishing people. And then verse six says, may he, that's the ideal king, be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. Uh, there under the reign of the ideal king, there is, there is this new life. And in his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. So under his reign, there is uh, goodness among the people flourishing and so peace in the society. Word number three is far reaching. The uh, reign of the ideal king uh, and his influence is far reaching. Verse eight says, may he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And verses 10 and 11 uh, say, may the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute or honor. May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. Sounds like the, uh, a picture of the Magi. And that's, this is why this psalm has been connected with Epiphany for so long. And verse 11, may all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. The fourth word is fearless. Psalm 72 is a picture of an ideal king, but he does not live in an ideal world because verse four speaks of oppressors that need to be crushed. Verse nine speaks of enemies that need to be neutralized. And verse 14 speaks of violence from which uh, the ideal king delivers or redeems people. And he is not fearless just in terms of defending himself or his own interests or defending uh, uh, the rich who support him. Point five, or, or sorry, word five is that the ideal king focuses on the vulnerable, the, the helpless and the hopeless. This is in verse 12 to 14. Verse 12, for he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. That is the helpless, the hopeless, whether they're needy or not, or poor or not, him who has no helper, the ideal king delivers. Verse 13, he has pity on the weak and the needy, and he saves the lives of the needy. He is a savior. And verse 14, from oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. Uh, the word here translated redeems comes from the idea of a kinsman 
redeemer. A kinsman redeemer was um, uh, a family um, a family person who would um, buy back from slavery his um, his relative because of the bonds of kinship. And this is saying that the ideal king uh, treats the, the vulnerable, the, the helpless and the hopeless, like family, uh, redeeming them, valuing them. Their blood is precious in his sight. The sixth word is faithful. Um, the kingdom of the ideal king is a faithful kingdom. It is stable and it is enduring. Verse 15 to 17. Verse 15, long may he live. There's nothing like the long life of a king to ensure stability in the kingdom. May gold of Sheba be given him, uh, material sustaining. Uh, may prayer be made for him continually and blessing invoked for him all the day. Spiritual sustaining. And verse 16 uh, speaks of how the, the, the reign of the ideal king uh, sustains his people, that there is uh, flourishing uh, materially and the people blossom in the cities and so on. And verse 17, may his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun, may people be blessed in him and all nations call him blessed. The ideal king is blessed to be a blessing. And the final uh, word or phrase is full of glory because the Lord God is behind all of this. In verse 18 and 19, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. So uh, through the reign of the ideal king, God's, God shows his glory and is filling uh, the whole earth with his glory. So that's a look at Psalm 72. And for those of you who take notes, let me just repeat those seven uh, words. Start with the letter F. It was fair, flourishing, far-reaching, fearless, focused on the, on the vulnerable, the hopeless and the helpless, faithful, and full of glory. So now we move on to our second point and consider what happened when this wonderful ideal wasn't realized. You know, whoever wrote this psalm, whether David or Solomon, one thing's for sure, the kings in David's line did not end up fulfilling this ideal. Solomon started well, but ended badly. In the next generation, there was division. And, and instead of uh, David's descendant having a far-reaching reign, 
he ended up reigning over only one of the tribes and the other tribes broke away into the northern kingdom and were led by kings uh, not in David's line. And after this, um, despite some bright lights along the way, uh, the line of kings from David uh, declined uh, until the, the dynasty ended with the exile to Babylon. So by that point, not only was there no um, Psalm 72 king, there was no king, period. And what do you think the response would be to the complete failure of this prayed for ideal, this dream of what an ideal king should be? Well, you'd think it would be to give up, right? <laughs> I mean, it seems like this ideal is totally unrealistic. Just face it, there's never going to be a king like this. Stop dreaming. But that is not what God's prophets did in response. You know, when all seemed lost or, or worse than lost, the prophets continued to have faith in God's promises and to proclaim a king like that of Psalm 72. And this king, um, this awaited king, uh, came to be called the Messiah, the, the Spirit of God anointed one. Now, um, we're going to fast forward to the beginning of the New Testament and consider how the ideal of Psalm 72 is yet being realized. So at the beginning of the New Testament, we have devout Jews like Zechariah and Elizabeth, Mary and Joseph, Simeon and Anna, and you could also include the, the shepherds. And they are believing uh, the words of the prophets and are waiting for the consolation of Israel. And that means they are waiting for the reign of a Psalm 72 king. And also amazingly, there are some non-Jews, uh, the Magi. The Magi came from a, a far country, but it was, it was from the part of the world where Jews had been exiled. And so the, uh, the tradition of, of the Magi uh, came into contact with the Jewish uh, scriptures and was influenced by them. And so was also uh, awaiting this, um, the reign of this ideal king. And so all of these, both, both the, uh, the devout Jews and, and these non-Jews, the Magi, uh, when Jesus is born, they all declare that, that Jesus is the one, that, that, that Jesus is this, uh, going to be this, this ideal king. And as Christians today, we, we wholeheartedly agree, Jesus is the ideal king of Psalm 72. And as the prince of peace, he is the prince of our dreams. Yet, uh, I'm sure you'll agree that in so many ways, our dreams have not yet come true, have they? 
We call this the already and the not yet. In many ways, God's promises have already been fulfilled in Jesus, but in many ways, not yet. And what should our response be to the not yet? Uh, there's very many different Christian answers to that, uh, that question, but I want to come at this from a different angle by asking the question, what is the world's response to the not yet? And this is uh, going to move us to point four when we're going to consider how the ideal of, of Psalm 72 is still so very evocative for us today. And actually, it, it's evocative for both believers and unbelievers. Except for unbelievers, they, they don't know where this Psalm 72, where this, this dream, this ideal comes from or how it can ever come true. So I'm going to look at two places that we see the power of this, this ideal, this dream uh, in the world. First, I'll look at the dream of good leadership, the ideal king governing fairly and faithfully. And second, I'm going to look at the dream of a savior, the, the prince of our dreams who is fearless and focused on those without help or hope. So first of all, looking at the, uh, the ideal king and the world's dream of good leadership that is fair and faithful. And I wanna use um, an example from our Canadian history. Did you know that the first verse of Psalm 72 is engraved on the Peace Tower uh, in the uh, Government of Canada Parliament buildings in Ottawa. So Psalm 72 verse one in the King James Version is engraved there on the Peace Tower and it says, give the King thy judgments, O God, or thy justice, O God, and thy righteousness unto the King's Son. Some of you may also know that Psalm 72 verse 8 has been very significant in Canadian history and it's memorialized in the coat of arms for Canada uh, using Latin words. It says, from sea to sea. So I claim this, this shows us that, that there is this, this dream, this longing uh, in, in Canada for this ideal of, of good leadership um, in line with Psalm 72 that is fair and faithful. You know, in, in the United States, the motto is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But you may not know that the corresponding motto is in Canada is peace, order, and good government. And it comes from the ideal, the dream of Psalm 72. So now I want to look at the, the, the prince of our dreams and the world's dream of a fearless savior who is focused on those without help or hope. 
And the example I want to use is the movie Titanic. Um, I hope you've seen the movie Titanic, but if you haven't, don't worry, I'm going to tell you about it. It came out 25 years ago. I saw it then, um, but I had not seen it again until just a couple of weeks ago when I watched it with my husband. Now, since I became a believing Christian just over 22 years ago, I was able to compare my reflections on the movie from before I knew Jesus Christ uh, with my reflections now that I know Jesus Christ. And I can say that both um, reflections have been um, powerfully significant for me. So the movie Titanic is the fictional love story between a woman named Rose and a man named Jack. Rose is unhappily engaged to be married to a super rich but abusive man named Cal. Just think Cal for callous. Jack, on the other hand, is a struggling artist. And the love story is fictional, but the movie is historical fiction set in um, the very real historical events of the Titanic. So Rose and Cal and Jack are all placed aboard the Titanic, uh, the ship that was built to be unsinkable, but it ended up colliding with an iceberg and sank on its very first voyage. And in the movie and in history, the unsinkable Titanic had nowhere close to enough lifeboats for all the people on board. Um, and even the available lifeboats were dispatched half empty and stayed a safe distance from the site of the sinking for fear of being swamped by desperate people. Of 20 lifeboats, only one returned to rescue only six people still living in the frigid, you know, taken from the frigid waters. The mayhem of the sinking Titanic showcases humanity at its worst. Third-class passengers were locked in the lower decks like caged animals in a panic effort to keep order on the upper decks as lifeboats were loaded. And although priority was being given to women and children, uh, Rose's fiance, Cal, felt entitled to skip the queue. First, he tried to bribe his way onto a lifeboat. Then he grabbed a crying child and tried to pass her off as his own uh, in order to board a lifeboat. Finally, he just forced his way on board. But the mayhem of the sinking Titanic also showcased humanity at its best. The dream of what humanity would be at its best. Um, Rose's beloved Jack gives his own life that Rose might survive to be one of the six rescued from the water. The, the very aged Rose who narrates the story many decades later says of Jack, he saved me in every way a person can be saved. I remember the first time I heard that in the days before I met Jesus, and I believed that it was true. The character of Jack seemed like the prince of my dreams. Now, knowing the true Savior Jesus, I recognize 
Jack's saving of Rose was only the closest human approximation of Jesus saving of each of us. And reflecting on this, I can see from my own experience that the world that I was a part of as an unbeliever is dying for Jesus. But the best it can come up with is the dream represented by Jack and by so many other fictional saviors in our best loved stories and movies. In the movie Titanic, Jack saved Rose in three ways. First, he saved her from death by preventing her from committing suicide and then by preserving her life at the expense of his own after the Titanic sank. Second, he saved her from her hopeless social circumstances that were forcing her to marry an angry, controlling man. And third, Jack saved Rose from the wretched self-centeredness that comes from growing up spoilt. But Jesus is the real stuff of dreams. As human beings, we are not, uh, as we like to think, masters of our own destiny. We are vulnerable. We are in hopeless circumstances. And we are helpless at the mercy of oppression without and self-absorbed sinfulness within and the inevitability of death. But amazingly and wonderfully, the ideal Savior Jesus has appeared, the prince of our dreams, and fearlessly sacrificed himself at the cross to truly save us in every way a person can be saved. In conclusion, I have some questions for us to ponder. As we wait in the not yet, highlighted by the Advent season, for Jesus coming again in glory, prefigured by the Christmas season, how will we be part of his revealing of himself, as emphasized in the Epiphany season, to the world that desperately needs him? Jesus is the good leader, the ideal king of Psalm 72. And Jesus is the real savior, the prince of our dreams. As Christians, we know where the ideal, where the dream comes from. It comes from the promises of God. And we know that the dream has already begun to come true in the historical events of the incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. And we know that the dream will be fully realized in his coming again in the new heavens and the new earth. But the world that has not yet believed has still glimpsed the same dream and doesn't know where the dream comes from. And the world is stuck on a sinking ship and doesn't know who the real savior is or how the story is going to end. And as human efforts and human saviors fail again and again, the world is mired in hopelessness and helplessness. And the dream is dying and becoming cynicism or worse, 
So in this new year of 2022, as we recognize the Feast of Epiphany, let's reflect on how you and I and we can invite Jesus to reveal himself to that world through us. How will we point to Jesus and in some way reflect his character as, as the good leader, the ideal king of Psalm 72, who is fair and faithful? How will we point to Jesus and in some way reflect his character as the real savior, the prince of our dreams, who is fearless and self-sacrificing for the sake of the hopeless and the helpless? How will we awaken the dream that is true? Amen.